Welcome back to the Farm Trainers Podcast, Season 3, Episode 15, published on June 13th, 2022. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Our guest today is Alex Uli to talk about permitless carry or otherwise called constitutional carry by many. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage offer and their competitive pricing. If you're a certified instructor, then you can apply for FTA coverage. Receive a special 10% off for listening to this podcast by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by the team at Mountain Man Medical. Responsible fire instructors have trauma medical gear on the range and are trained to use it. Mountain Man Medical provides the highest quality name brand medical gear on the market at a guaranteed lowest price. Check out the Wind River Kit, especially designed for firearm instructors to have at the range. The Yellowstone is perfect to have on your belt or in your bag anywhere you go. Learn more at mountainmanmedical.com and scroll to the bottom and click on available discounts to learn how fire instructors can save 15% off the already guaranteed lowest prices on the market. And don't forget to click on the training link to take the emergency trauma response video course for free. Get the right gear and the right training at the best price anywhere on mountainmanmedical.com. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every fire instructor in America that dedicates time, energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Alex Uli from Uli Law. Welcome, Alex, and thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. Great to be with you. Uh, for those people that don't know who Alex Uli is, can you give us a little bit of uh, your background and what brings you on the show today? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm an attorney from Southern Indiana, and I'm also a firearms instructor. I have a firearms training business with my family, my, both my parents and, and my brother. Uh, we teach some, some basic handgun training and also a, a five-hour legal class about the uh, legal principles uh, surrounding the lawful carry of a handgun and what we think that responsible citizens should know about carrying a handgun uh, and the use of that handgun in, in, in self-defense. Um, so I, I, uh, in my law practice, I'm, I do primarily criminal defense. I do some firearms-related work. I help people with self-defense cases. I help people with uh, licensing appeals, although Indiana, there won't be very many of those going forward, uh, or nearly as many, let me say that, since Indiana is going to be constitutional carry. There still will be an opportunity to get a license, um, but you won't be required to in Indiana. And uh, I also help people with uh, sometimes who are denied on a next background check with those appeals, uh, just it's called a voluntary appeal file where you appeal the denial on a next background check. So uh, criminal defense primarily, and then also some firearms related stuff. So uh, that's, that's my primary area of focus. Well, that's great because uh, today's topic talk about constitutional carry or permitless carry. I think there's a lot of, uh, um, mystery around it because we're up to 25 states that have gone constitutional permitless carry. And um, some people have a good handle of it. Some people don't. And I can't think of a better person than a lawyer who's already teaching, um, you know, responsible citizens uh, what they need to know from a legal standpoint. Can you go along and kind of dispel what's the difference between permitless carry and constitutional carry? Yeah. So these are are terms that uh, you often hear used interchangeably, and I, I've been guilty of that actually as as well. In Indiana, we actually this, the statute that was passed was actually called the legislature called it lawful carry, uh, which is more 
uh, in line with the permitless carry, but there is a, a somewhat of a distinction between the, the two ideas or concepts. Uh, most states are, in fact, permitless carry states who have adopted so-called constitutional carry. Um, and that simply means that to exercise your right to, to carry a firearm and to possess and carry a firearm, uh, you don't have to ask for permission from the government to get, you don't have to get a license. You don't have to pay to get that right back. Okay. Because let's face it, having a license for a right means that you didn't have the right in the first place. You have to buy it back. The government took it and you have to buy it back in the form of a license. Mm -hmm. So um, permitless carry simply recognizes that rights that are so fundamental as the right to, to keep and bear arms shouldn't have to be bought back. It's a right that, that you have. It's a natural right. And it's simply recognized by the Constitution. Constitutional carry uh, is a, a little bit goes a little bit further than that. A constitutional carry, I've heard lots of people say, is uh, it would mean that you could actually possess and carry the sorts of arms that would have been available at the time of the founding even. So like, it means you could have like cannons and and you wouldn't have, there wouldn't be such things as age restrictions. There wouldn't be time and place and manner restrictions. Um, I mean, constitutional carry would really be um, far less restrictive than even permitless carry. So um, what we're seeing mostly is more accurately described as permitless carry, but most people mean and use the two phrases interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and permitless, permitless carry, um, they, they ages, you know, you got to be over 21, you know, they still have restrictions about police stations and government buildings, post office where, where you can't carry. And those are things that people need to. And like you said, under constitutional carry, um, you know, anything goes. And, yeah. you know, it's good for people to realize the differences between there because some, um, some people or some states have constitutional carry, um, not many, but most of them are uh, permitless carry. Mm -hmm. um, question and kind of explain this to our listeners. If I'm in a constitutional carry, or let's use the right term, permitless carry state, and I go uh, outside my home state, does that follow me? So, it doesn't technically follow you, but you may, in fact, enjoy the rights in other constitutional carry states because they have adopted constitutional carry. So whatever constitutional carry legislation has been passed in your state. So, for instance, Indiana, which doesn't take effect until July 1st, by the way, uh, for those anticipating the past uh, uh, constitutional carry taking effect or permitless carry taking effect in Indiana. Um, it doesn't follow you to other states, but. Other states who have constitutional carry may allow non-citizens of their state to carry and enjoy permitless carry in their state as well. Now, there are a few exceptions to that. Uh, North Dakota is one that comes to mind. They mm -hmm. only allow permitless carry for citizens of North Dakota. So you would need a license from your home state, um, and hopefully it would be recognized in North Dakota. I think North Dakota recognizes the permit from every other state. I'm not any valid license. Yep. Yeah. Um, so if you had a license from Indiana or Ohio, it would be recognized in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, you know, to contrast that, if you go from Indiana to Ohio, Ohio recognizes the permitless carry for both residents as well as uh, non-residents. So you're good there. But if you keep going out um, a little further, uh, into West Virginia, West Virginia only recognizes, uh, 
you know, permitless carry for those residents. So that's similar to the North Dakota. And that's where, you know, if you're traveling between states, make sure you, uh, you understand the laws appropriately because you're getting caught with a uh, concealed weapon in another state and pleading ignorance over it, it's probably not going to get you too far. Yeah, exactly. Ignorance of the law is, is no excuse. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no exception for that. Um, so you're right. Be, make sure you know the law. And I always like, Rob, I always like to point people to a, a, a website that I personally use, uh, handgunlaw.us. I'm sure you've heard of it. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of it. It's got a great digest of the law in each particular state. It's got a, a map. You click on the state uh, for the, that you're interested in, and it will give you a digest of the, the firearms laws in, in, those sta- in that state. Um, and also show you the reciprocity um, that applies to that state as well. So it's a very useful resource. It's not the law itself, but it does have hyperlinks to the actual statute, uh, to the law itself, if you want to see the, the law that the legislature in that, that state passed. So mm-hmm. I think that's a great resource. There are others like it, but that just happens to be my favorite, I think, because I'm most used to it. And I know the person who runs it does a good job keeping it up to date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever you do, um, I actually recommend uh, people go along and check a couple of different resources because law changes uh, not fast. But it does uh, change from time to time. So you go to handgunlaw.us, you go to concealedcarry.com, you go to uscca.com, those kind of resources and compare them, make sure that you're going to get caught in a catch-22, that the law is going to change on Monday or it changed on, on Friday and you're traveling over the weekend type of thing. You get caught doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, good. What are some of the other um, potential issues when you're you've got uh, permitless carry that people should be aware of? Well, I, I think uh, one issue that's so important for people and, and um, most pe- most people who already have a license, we know. Uh, I think John Lott has studied this. He's a, a, a statistician who has has done a lot of research about defensive gun uses, but he's also studied various other areas related to firearms. And he's he's come up with these statistics about how law abiding people who uh, have a handgun license are. And they're, they're something like 10 or more times more law abiding than even law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it's important for people to understand that just because they're not required to get a permit. Uh, and not go through any training um, as a result, as a, also as a side effect of that, um, they still should seek out good training. And uh, I don't advocate government mandated training. I think that actually has uh, little or no benefit. Uh, as a matter of fact, my anecdotal experience has been that in states that require uh, training, it, it's a very low bar, the training requirement is. And people mm-hmm. go to that state minimum re- required training and think they're good. I don't, I've, I've got the blessing of the state. I've done the required training. I don't need any more training. And I think that has sort of a moral hazard to it. Okay. So uh, even in states that do require training, I think it's still important to seek out more training and high quality training. So whether you're in a state that does or does not have a permit requirement, seek out high quality training rights. We all enjoy them but they come with responsibility. And in order to protect those rights, we have to exercise our rights responsibly. So do that by making sure you're well-versed, not only in the rules of safe gun handling, but in 
how to, how to store your firearm, how to handle your firearm, how to determine when or when you may not be justified in using your firearm. There are a lot of misconceptions about when, when you are or are not justified in using that firearm in self-defense. So make sure you're not only well-versed in the practical use of the firearm, but also the legal aspects that go along with that. And a good resource uh, for that besides uh, handgun law and and those uh, websites we just talked about is most of the states have an attorney general guide for concealed carriers. And you go on, look over that and see some of the laws that pertain to it because like post offices, no go government buildings, depending upon the state you're in may or may not be allowed. Um, Airports, no go, or at least past the, uh, the security uh, checkpoints, uh, schools, um, all these things uh, could potentially get you in a lot of legal uh, trouble. And that's where maybe you can stay out of jail. But if you stay out of jail, you lose your Second Amendment rights because you've been charged with a felony and you've got to register for the next uh, you know, five years. You can say that's probably a pretty high cost for not understanding your responsibility and how the law applies. Yes, exactly. Uh, great points. And one I'd like to, you, you mentioned quite a few there. One I think that people who take our legal class often find uh, interesting is is national parks. So for instance, if you went to, to Yellowstone National Park, the national park follows the law of the state that it is in. So Yellowstone being in Wyoming would follow the law in Wyoming. So if, you're, if your permit from whatever state you're from is recognized in Wyoming or if Wyoming had constitutional carry, uh, you would be good there, except in federal buildings located in the mm-hmm. national park. So you could be in the park, but not in any of the buildings in the park. So yep. that's another. No uh, ranger just, station, you know, things like that. Exactly. But that's a little nuance that you just have to know. Um, and that's not, it, there's this distinction in the law between things that are wrong in and, the, in and of themselves, like we know they're wrong, like murder, and they're inherently wrong, and things that are wrong because the law says they're wrong. Going over the speed limit is not inherently wrong. It's wrong because the legislature has said that going over 55 and in a certain area on the highway is against the law. Um, it's called malum prohibitum, something that's wrong because it's prohibited versus malum in say something that's wrong in itself. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible to know all the things that are wrong just because they're prohibited. Yep. And there's also those situations to where, you know, going to speed limit might be allowable because you're racing to the hospital you know, for some medical problem. And then there's other times where you're racing down the expressway because you're, you're racing, you know, a Corvette down or something else like that to where that's not excusable. And those are all things to where, um, make sure you understand the law before you start, start doing those types of things, because, uh, how it's, how you, how a police officer or jurisdiction may interpret that can vary widely all depending upon where you're at and what your excuses. Exactly. Exactly. Well, in your mind, um, I know we've talked about your know, rights and the responsibilities. Where would having that government issued uh, concealed carry card come in helpful at? Yeah. Um, so I'm still going to have a license in Indiana or permit. Uh, it's actually called a license to carry a handgun in Indiana simply because that gives me more reciprocity in other states. So Uh, Most of the other states that have constitutional carry, I could carry in without a license, but by having a license from Indiana, that gives me, I believe, nine additional states that I can carry in. So 
uh, that's a, an added benefit to having having a license. Um, so, and, and plus in Indiana, there's no fee for a lifetime license. So there's basically no impediment except the application itself. So uh, that's that's an added benefit to obtaining a, a license in Indiana. And I suspect uh, in other states as well. I don't know. What's the licensing process like in, in Ohio, Rob? In Ohio, it, and the sheriff has 45 days to go along from when you apply for it to when they have to either issue it or uh, send you a letter telling you why they're de- denying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of, one of the things that I would say that, you know, I'll, I'll keep my Ohio uh, permit is because it also gives me uh, the ability to go along and do a quicker uh, purchase at gun stores because we do, uh, Ohio does NICS background checks for the concealed carry licenses. So I go in, I see a gun I like. And I can put down my concealed carry license and they will copy down my concealed carry number, all those types of things, hand me the gun and I can walk out because I've already had the background check done versus going along. And depending upon the time, and everybody can probably identify with this, is sometimes the next checks are boom, you know, a couple minutes. And other times it's like, yeah, we're still on hold after an hour and you're waiting and waiting, waiting. So that, that little Nick's uh, bypass on having concealed carry permit is uh, definitely a big plus in my mind uh, for, for purchasing things without having to uh, wait. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so there you go. It it would help uh, potentially with reciprocity and then also help expedite the Nick's background check process. Uh, The other uh, reason I've heard some people mention as a consideration uh, is that if you are stopped on a, at the roadside by a police officer and, there, and people have different differing viewpoints on this. Should you tell the police officer that in Ohio, it's a must inform state, I believe. Is that right, Rob? Until we go, until we go permitless carry on uh, June 13th. So it's must inform until uh, permitless goes into effect. Um, but in some states it's, it's must inform. Um, but even in states that are not must inform, um, you know, some some people still like to inform the officer just to uh, maybe put the officer at ease that, hey, this person's got a license to carry a handgun. I know they're carrying lawfully, uh, you know, and that might help make the roadside stop go more smoothly. Um, like I said, some people have differing opinions on that, but that's another potential benefit of keeping a license. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, th- one thing I'll throw out there from a Ohio and Indiana perspective is when we're talking permitless carry. It applies only to only to pistols, which is one of those things where people can, you know, if you're you're hunting, you know, hunter education always tells you you got to unload before you transport your firearm. But if you've got that um, AR rifle or if you have a rifle shotgun that's loaded in your car, uh, your your permitless carry and your CCW permit in Ohio and Indiana does not cover it. To give you a contrast in Kentucky, it does cover it. And that's where knowing and understanding the uh, those pitfalls where, you know, you're traveling from Kentucky and everything's great. And then all of a sudden you cross the river and all of a sudden you find out that, hey, you know, Ohio or Indiana doesn't recognize that. And you could get into, again, a lot of trouble uh, in doing something that was legal in one state over in the other one without checking into the laws and making sure that you understand uh, what what's allowed in that state and what isn't. Yeah, exactly. Another great example of knowing, making sure you know the law um, so that you don't get caught uh, and end up losing your rights inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Well, you lose your rights and potentially lose a whole lot of money because you being a lawyer, I'm sure you can attest to what it actually costs in order just to represent people, fill out some paperwork, make some motions. And that's before you'd get 
into a trial or get into a situation to where, you know, we get into a final, uh, final part of it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Even, even on low level felony or misdemeanor cases, you can spend, uh, weeks, if not months in jail, if you're, if you're not able to bond out, uh, depending on what level the bond is set at and potentially incur significant legal fees of 10,000 plus dollars, even for a low level felony, typically not going to be that much for a low level felony, but it, it could be depending on the jurisdiction, because if the prosecutor is anti-gun and very zealous about prosecuting firearms cases, uh, they could they could come down pretty hard. Yeah. Are you in a big city that is, you know, we're going to c- come down hard on, on gun crime or are you out in a rural area to where they're like, yeah, this isn't the right thing to do. And, you know, we've seen it before. So we're going to go along and make it, you know. We understand the impact on your life. You're not a criminal. So, you know, we'll, we're going to charge you, but it's not going to make it, you know, a hundred thousand dollar bond or something else like that. Yeah. I work in a pretty conservative area for the most part, and uh, they're relatively gun gun friendly where, where I work. Um, although the prosecutors and the judges are very, they're conservative, but they're very, um, aggressive with their prosecution. And, and, uh, even if it's against, even if it's a relatively minor crime, they're still aggressive, um, at prosecuting them and sentencing them if you're found guilty. So, uh, it's a very, it's no no minor consequence in either circumstance. Yeah. And if you go and, you know, you go to a big city like Indianapolis, Marion County, it's going to be completely different about the focus. And if you go to a different state like Louisville and Jefferson mm-hmm. County there, guess what? Different state, different judges, different uh, motivations. And those are things that, uh, you know, you can beat it. But as you said before, it can cost you, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to beat it or go through the process. And then, um, you know, even in the case like Kyle Rittenhouse, um, you know, he got off. But think about how much money he had to go through in order to make sure he wasn't convicted, wasn't sent to jail for the rest of his life. And that gives you kind of a sense of why you want to make sure you understand the law and steer clear of those kind of, uh, 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 you know, grinders that just going to grind you up and spit you out. Yeah, that's a great point. And Kyle Rittenhouse, he he was found not guilty, but he didn't win. He uh, he suffered a great deal and had to go through a lot. Uh, there, there's no victory in being uh, incarcerated or or being in, in court. So um, do what you can to exercise your rights responsibly and and avoid those situations. And that actually brings brings up another uh, a few other points. I think that listeners may want to consider if they haven't. Uh, there are post-defense insurance type products. Uh, I'm not going to promote any in particular, but just for example, Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network, it's not insurance per se, but it's a membership that if you do have to use a firearm in self-defense, they uh, and they they consider that you used your firearm in self-defense appropriately, they will provide you a defense. They will provide you with a connection to an attorney. They will provide the funds that you need uh, potentially for bail and to, to acquire the attorney. Um, and uh, they also provide you with a network of experts who may be able to testify on your behalf. So there are other products like that, U.S. Law Shield, um, USCCA, uh, there are numerous products. Uh, you just kind of have to shop around and do your due diligence. If that's something you're interested in. Yeah, shop around, look at them and read the fine print. 
because, you know, those are some of the situations to understand what they won't cover and, you know, make sure you can live with that because last yeah. thing you want to do is find a specific situation, find out that, oh, you don't cover that, you know, if it's in my house or something else like that. And like, oh gosh, that's a really bad situation I'm in, but you can get another policy. And just like with auto or home, look at, look at the details and make sure that you can live with uh, whatever the exclusions are. Exactly. Well, well, Alex, do you have any other um, good suggestions when it comes to um, traveling cross country, when it comes to uh, uh, permitless carry? Yeah. So uh, make sure you certainly you understand where your license is recognized. If you have a license or if you don't have a license, make sure you know which states are uh, permitless carry, but also permitless carry for non-citizens of that particular state. So make sure you know that those answers. Um, there's also, and Rob, you and I discussed this a little bit, uh, a lot of people refer to it as safe passage law. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a federal statute that says, as long as you can lawfully possess and carry where you are starting and lawfully possess and carry where you are going, you can pass through a state who doesn't otherwise recognize your permit or have constitutional carry. So uh, if I were going to Missouri from Indiana and I were passing through Illinois, Illinois doesn't recognize Indiana's permit. I can still pass through because I can lawfully possess and carry in Indiana and lawfully possess and carry in Missouri. Uh, But be very careful, even in those states where you're protected by federal statute, because you don't want to stop in those states. Um, I, I would be very careful just to make sure you pass through because chances are the officer at the roadside stop is not going to be familiar with federal law and may not be gun friendly. So you could find yourself in jail for a few days in Illinois, even if you were in fact protected by federal law. So, so be very careful about, about the, those sorts of circumstances. Now, there are a few cases in uh, Illinois where literally the uh, uh, police arrested people that were claiming safe passage and they let the judge decide that on Monday. So you spent all day, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, only to find out nine o'clock on Monday morning. They're like, yeah, they, they, they were wrong to arrest you, but you still have, you know, your whole weekend shot for whatever reason you were traveling, you know, with your family and, and different things like that. So it's, um, important to understand the law and all the nuances with it, which there's, uh, nuances in the more states that you crisscross, uh, the more important, important is to realize, you know, some of the magazine capacities that are on the East coast, some of the prohibitive, um, things that are on the West coast. Uh, good thing is in the Midwest, except for Illinois, we're pretty good about accepting things, uh, with it, but still things should change. Yeah. Check, check exactly. the websites, check, check the laws and, uh, make sure you understand them because as we said at the beginning of the podcast, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, Alex, uh, can you name uh, somebody who has been an influential mentor to get you where you are today? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my father, Mike Uli. He's a he's an attorney as well. Uh, he kind of influenced me and uh, inspired me to become an attorney in the first place. Um, we also uh, run a firearms training business together uh, with my mother and my brother as well. Um, and so he's certainly been a major influence on me as well as my mother. Um, but in the, in the firearms world, uh, Masada Yub has been a big influence on me. Uh, I've been to his mag 40 course as well as his deadly force instructor course. And, 
I learned a great deal. Even as a, the first time I went to MAG 40, I was in law school and you learn virtually nothing about the second amendment or the use of force um, in law school. So his, his MAG 40 course, the first 20 hours of it are, it's about the, the, the lawful use of force. And it's basically a mini law school course uh, just on, on that issue. So uh, I learned a great deal from him and he, uh, that course sort of led me down the path to uh, kind of focusing my practice on that area, so use of force, firearms. Now, I'm in a, a relatively rural area, so I can't do exclusively those sorts of cases because there, there simply aren't enough of them where I'm from. Um, but but he certainly was a big influence. And then uh, Tiger McKee uh, as well. He's in Alabama. He has a Shoot Right Firearms Academy down there. Uh, he he was one of the first uh, firearms trainers that I went to that was beyond your entry level NRA basics of pistol basics of pistol shooting type course, and it really sort of opened my eyes to to the opportunities that are out there, not only in terms of training and 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 development skill development, but also the sorts of people that are out there in the gun gun world. You, you, often people don't realize the community that exists outside. Um, uh, in the gun world and and the great people that that are out there. So um, yeah, Masada Yub and, and Tiger McKee are certainly up there. There are, there are many others, of course, but um, th- those are two big ones. This isn't the first time that Masada Yub has come up on uh, just to underscore just how important he's been to the self-defense industry as a whole. Uh, back in episode or season two, episode 24, we had Andrew Bronk on. And he had gone along and said Masada Oop is responsible for turning his law career from just doing uh, corporate law over into doing self-defense. And everybody should be able to recognize Andrew Bronca from being the author of uh, the law of self-defense. And that's, that just kind of shows you uh, the impact that Masada has had. Um, and if people haven't gotten to class from Masad, I would uh, highly encourage you to uh, check out his schedule and uh, take something because it's, as they say about all of us, none of us are getting any younger. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And Andrew Brink is a, a, a very great um, figure in, in the uh, civil rights and, and gun world as well. Um, I mean, he was I, I heard him speak at an NRA annual meeting uh, quite a few years ago. It was uh, it would have been around the time that the George Zimmerman Trayvon Martin case was going on. And he was one of the, the big figures who, who spoke out about misconceptions surrounding stand your ground laws. And uh, I, I remember Andrew Branca for, for that um, because he he spoke about it so well and was a great advocate for for gun rights and for stand your ground laws, defending those sorts of laws um, because there was so much misinformation going on in the media around those those laws. Yeah, I, w- I would go along definitely. If you're a fire instructor, check out Masada Oop. Check out Andrew Branca because the biggest challenge that I've seen in the, my training for students is that probably 80, 90% of what students think they know about self-defense and legal self-defense comes from Hollywood. And we can immediately go and look at Hollywood and see all the terrible, you know, running around fingers on triggers going along and shooting, you know, and never have to reload, you know, all, all these types of things where, um, you know, we know it's not practical, but a lot of students come in watching all those uh, type of movies and shows. And we as fire instructors need to help, help educate them that, you know, here's the law. This is what 
what's going to happen. And you're not going to be like John McCain to where you come out of a building and somebody's going to pat you on the back on the back and say, ah, that's great job. And not, not haul you away in a uh, police cruiser for a whole lot of questioning after Mm -hmm. something like that. Just expect it because that is the reality of the situation. Yeah, exactly. And and what I'll say one more thing about Masad Ayub and Andrew Branca is so great about their work is that, you know, a lot of he's got a book, Andrew Branca, you mentioned it, the law of self-defense. And a lot of people say, well, why would I buy a book about the law? Because the law is always changing. And right. We talked about that when we were talking about uh, digest of the law. But but what Andrew Branca does and what Masada Ayub does is they break down the law of self-defense and, and the use of deadly force into these principles that are timeless principles about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when force is justified, whether it's deadly or not. And um, they're not specifically related to statute necessarily. Now, now Andrew Branca will get into some of that because he has some state specific information that he has available to people, but, but his book and most of the work from Masada Yub are more universal pr- principles about when the use of force is justified. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most, uh, most uh, importantly, because one, one thing they both Masada and Andrew go through is uh, doesn't have to be a firearm to be deadly force. Um, it can be a car, it can be a baseball bat, you know, and understanding when and where you can use those legally is extremely important to understanding your rights and responsibilities. Make sure you don't end up in uh, jail for, uh, you know, days, if not weeks and months. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be making a, a decision when you're using a firearm in self-defense about when to potentially take another human life, because you're not shooting to kill, you're shooting to stop the threat, but it may in fact kill the, the person who's attacking you. And if you make the wrong decision in that moment, you could be facing a conviction for murder. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the decision that you make in those split seconds under extreme physiological stress, uh, chemical dump, you know, tunnel vision, auditory exclusion, all sorts of physiological effects. Um, you have to understand the gravity of that decision in that moment, because you don't get to decide when somebody is going to attack you. Um, and you have to respond, make a decision, and make the right decision in a matter of seconds. Exactly. So keep that in mind, instructors, and make sure you're passing along that kind of information onto your students. Well, Alex, where can people find more about your uh, law practice and the classes that you're teaching? Because some of those look, sound really great for instructors to, to take also from the standpoint of understanding law. Yeah, sure. So um, my practice, you can find uh, ulilaw.com. It's O-O-L-E-Y-L-A-W.com. Uh, it's got, that's the website for, for my law practice. Uh, the firearms training, we have a website as well. It's O2gungroup.com. And that's the letter O, number two, gungroup.com. And we, we teach classes. A lot of them are by, uh, they're, they're small group classes that we, had, we teach a lot of families, but we also do uh, groups by request for the legal class. And, and we we really only schedule a half a dozen uh, ahead of time a year, but we may, uh, like I said, teach special request type classes throughout the year. So if anybody has an interest in, in a small group class, uh, we're, we're happy to work with you and, and set up a, a group and to teach a class. Like I said, we have a five-hour class. It's only about the, the law surrounding the use of force and self-defense. Great. 
I will put those into the show notes. So anybody who's driving can uh, look those up and hopefully somebody will reach out and uh, take some of those classes from you because uh, you're not too far from me. So I'm going to be looking to see what you've got going to. Yeah, that sounds, sounds great. great. Okay. Well, thanks for your time, Alex, and you uh, stay safe. Will do. Thanks, Rob. Great to be with you. That's a wrap for this episode. Hope you found it interesting. And we ask you to share this with your friends and other interested parties about what permitless carry is and what it is not. Do you have a suggestion for an episode or someone we should have on as a guest? Email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. You can also leave us feedback on our Facebook page. Or better yet, leave me a comment at farmtrainerpodcast.com. You can also search our website for previous episodes on topics such as marketing, additional training, and dealing with challenges. Visit our sponsors, especially the Farm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com, and check out their instructor insurance. Being a certified instructor and establishing your business were your first steps. Your next step should be getting FTA coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Sign up for the Guardian Conference coming in September 16th to the 18th. Receive world-class training from nationally recognized trainers like Andrew Branca, Matt Little, AJ Zitto, and some of our podcast guests, such as Wayne Dobbs, Brian McLaughlin, and Mickey Shuck. Topics will include self-defense law, unarmed self-defense, trauma care, and advanced pistol craft. All the information and more can be found at guardianconference.com. We bring this podcast support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Carry on. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.